You're listening to the Living Presence Podcast, exploring faith, meeting the world, from East Gwillimbury, Ontario. Welcome to episode 31 of the Living Presence Podcast. My name is Brianne Swan, and I am the community minister with the Living Presence Ministry, an emergent community ministry of the United Church of Canada in East Gwillimbury, Ontario, where we serve with gratitude upon the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Chippewa, and Wendat peoples. I am recording late into the night of September 2nd, and tomorrow is the first day back at school after summer vacation. This past week has been a whirlwind of making sure that my kids have clothes that fit, socks, shoes, backpacks, lunch bags, and water bottles. And it feels like tomorrow morning is kind of a return to real life. Now, my kids had a great summer, so much time spent outside, and I was noticing this week that they've both developed six-packs from all the running and jumping and climbing they've been doing. There's been camping, days at the beach, a vacation to BC to visit family, and they were ring bearers at my brother's wedding. But a lot of what made the summer so great was the amount of unstructured time my kids had to play and explore. My older son finally got the training wheels off of his bike, and he was able to ride around the neighborhood with his friends for the first time. There was reading in the backyard, impromptu glow stick parties at night, splashing with our neighbors in the backyard inflatable pool. And so I'm lamenting a bit the shift that will happen tomorrow when we move back into the regular routine of shuffling off to the school bus in the morning, and then our afternoons being just so much more rushed. Home, supper, bath, stories, bedtime... I hope I can still carve out some time for play and for wonder now that the school year has begun. On today's episode, we'll hear about Jesus displaying a certain amount of chutzpah as a dinner guest of the Pharisees, discussing humility and hospitality. I'll be talking about how I was so not the cool kid in high school. Shocking, I know. And then we'll hear some words from Lebanese poet Khalil Gibran. But first, as I long for summer to last just a little bit longer, here is British singer-songwriter Claire Schofield and her tune Summer Song from her 2009 album The Unwind. As always, you can find out how to purchase Claire's music by going to our show notes at www.livingpresenceministry.org. 
Lovely Algonquin Park after 10 days of camping. 
And I'm with Elias and with Evan. Luke 14, 1, 7 to 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would have to start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You say amen? Amen. Amen. That was Jess Swantz and Elias reading from the 14th chapter in the Gospel of Luke from Algonquin Park. I grew up in the countryside of central Ontario. I wasn't too far from my elementary school, about five kilometers, but I was much further from the high school I attended. It was about a 20-minute drive if you did it in a car. But when I went to school, the bus had to wind its way through all of the dirt side roads. All those farm kids, kilometers apart, so that by the time the bus got to the school, it was about an hour run in total. Unfortunately, my house was the very first stop on the route. And since classes started at 7.50 in the morning and I think there's an entire side note about the inherent cruelty in expecting teenagers to learn anything at 7.50 in the morning, that meant I was on the bus at 6.45 a.m. I used to bring a pillow and a blanket on the bus with me just so that I could get a little bit more sleep. But at least I wasn't walking to school uphill both ways. However, I'm not sure how many of you needed to take a bus to get to high school, but they can be dangerous if you don't have your wits or awareness about you. Teenagers can be cruel, really cruel, and nowhere is the social hierarchy on display more plainly than on a country school bus. It is very, very obvious by where kids sit who is in and who is not. The cool kids, those with the highest social clout, sat at the back. The most highly coveted marker of status. So even though I was the very first person on the bus in the morning and could sit anywhere I wanted, I knew, I knew that the back was not my seat. 
Not only was it not my seat, but it would cause me significant problems if I were to try and claim it. I had 99 problems fueling my teenage angst, and trying to sit at the back of the bus wasn't going to be one of them. Except one day, when I was on the bus heading home, somebody threw a half-full can of Coca-Cola at the back of my head. Covered in sticky pop and seeing stars, I was done. Just so, so done. So the next day, I sat in the back of the bus. Nobody can pelt you from behind if you are the one who's behind. So I got on in the morning and just sat there. And when the regular occupants of the seat showed up and told me to move, I ignored them. I was silent. Same thing that night. I went straight from my last class to the bus and sat in the back seat. This time folks were really, really angry. So disproportionately angry to simply not being able to sit in the seat they wanted to. And that's because it wasn't really about the seat. It was about disrupting their spot within the adolescent social order we'd fallen into. I've often thought about the ways in which my school bus and the two hours I experienced in it every day were a microcosm of the greater society. Now, despite his great suffering, Jesus never had to go through the challenges of riding a rural school bus in the early 2000s. He was at least afforded that small mercy. In our reading today, it sounds a little bit like Jesus is responding to an Ann Landers sort of question. Where is the most appropriate place for me to sit when invited to a dinner party? But just like the dudes freaking out on the bus weren't really upset about the seat itself, Jesus isn't really talking about dinner party etiquette. So here we have Jesus invited into the home of a leader of the Pharisees. We remember Jesus eating with tax collectors, sex workers, the underhoused and the underfed. But it's noteworthy that Jesus is also rubbing shoulders with the powerful. At least powerful within this particular community. Because we are still in a Roman-occupied area here, and so the Judean leadership are still subject to the whims of the empire. And the Pharisees themselves are kind of a resistance movement. They are juxtaposed against the Sadducees, who were the more elite class of religious leadership, connected to the temple and more embracing of the Hellenization of the Jewish community. The Pharisees were closer to the common Jewish population, placed more emphasis on Mosaic law than on the temple and its rituals, and recognized not only the written Torah, but also the oral Torah and records from the prophets and other writings. 
In early Christian scripture, like what we read in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, there is conflict with the Pharisees because they are the ones Jesus and the common people would have been interacting with. It is from the Pharisees that the rabbinic tradition in Judaism emerged. So Jesus is over with the Pharisees for dinner. He performs a healing on the way, which the Revised Common Lectionary for this week entirely skips over, and then observes the invited guests jockeying for the best spot. This would have been a completely socially acceptable practice, because humility was not a particularly well-embraced virtue in Roman times, or even current times. Look at our political leaders but more on that in a bit. When Jesus suggests to those present that they should sit at the lowest setting, this would have been a very countercultural concept. And he quotes scripture from his own tradition to make his point. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Tables turning over and over again. Jesus spent a lot of time with those living on the margins of society. But he saves the teaching about humility for those who hold status and position within the Jewish community. In our current North American culture, humility is a virtue that gets talked about but rarely embraced by those who are at the top of the social ladder. However, it often gets thrown at minority groups in an attempt to maintain status quo power balances. Muhammad Ali was accused of being too arrogant by mostly white journalists. Some Americans cited Hillary Clinton's arrogance as the reason they voted for Donald Trump, which seems absolutely astonishing if you take even a millisecond to mull that over. I wonder if the Pharisees falling over themselves to sit in the seats of honor were doing so because this was really all they had. This little bit of social standing within the Jewish community. Their autonomy was still impinged upon by the Roman state. The Sadducees were the more elite class of religious leaders. And, as Luke is portraying them in this story, they had bought into the cultural notion of defining their personal worth by worldly status instead of identifying their self-worth in what God values. This is what Jesus is talking about when he's discussing humility. Jesus is not asking people to devalue themselves. He is also not inviting people into a competition for the Humble Brag Award. He is explaining that our value is not dependent upon our station within the world. God does not value what the world values. 
And I find that an incredibly freeing thought. And so I'm thinking back to those kids on the school bus so many years ago and how upset they were that they were forced out of their teenage equivalent to the place of honor. Because it wasn't as if the back of the bus had the best view or was the most comfortable. It was that it was a visible demonstration of their status within this tiny little community. And perhaps this was the only place in their world where they had any kind of power at all, and they had to hold on tight to whatever they could grab. I have no idea what their home lives were like. I do know that not many of them graduated from high school, and in a society that places so much emphasis on attaining formal post-secondary education, I can only imagine where they are currently standing on the ladder of earthly power and influence. God does not measure value in the same way that the world does. We are all loved and beloved We do not need to trample upon each other to demonstrate our significance. Our self-worth does not rest in how the world measures us. Being able to sit in this knowledge, that is the humility Jesus is talking about here. And I imagine it will be incredibly liberating when my heart is fully able to take that all in. I am, as we all are, a work in progress. So here's another marker for how countercultural the concept of humility really is. When I went looking for music to play after this reflection, I typed songs about humility into my search engine. And the only music that came up was Christian praise music. And it was all really terrible Christian praise music. I mean, really, really awful. So instead, here is a commentary on teenage social hierarchy and its transient, fragile nature, with Janice Ian's song, At Seventeen, performed by British singer Lily. You can find Lily on Instagram at lilygram underscore, that's L-I-L-I-G-R-A-H-A-M underscore, and by going to our show notes. beauty queens and high school girls with clear skin smiles who marry young and then retire the valentines I never knew 
Greater Self from The Forerunner by Khalil Gibran. This came to pass. After the coronation of the king, 
he retired to his bedchamber, the very room which the three hermit magicians of the mountains had built for him. He took off his crown and his royal clothes and stood in the center of the room thinking of himself, now the all-powerful ruler. Suddenly he turned, and he saw stepping out of the silver mirror which his mother had given him, a naked man. The king was startled, and he cried out to the man, What would you? And the naked man answered, Not but this, why have they crowned you king? And the king answered, Because I am the noblest man in the land. Then the naked man said, If you were still more noble, you would not be king. And the king said, Because I am the mightiest man in the land, they crowned me. And the naked man said, If you were mightier yet, you would not be king. Then the king said, Because I am the wisest man, they crowned me king. And the naked man said, If you were still wiser, you would not choose to be king. Then the king fell to the floor and wept bitterly. The naked man looked down upon him. Then he took up the crown and with tenderness replaced it upon the king's bent head. And the naked man, gazing lovingly upon the king, entered into the mirror. And the king roused, and straightway he looked into the mirror, and he saw there but himself so much for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with a rather perplexing passage with words from Jesus describing how one needs to hate their mother and father in order to follow him. There will, of course, be more words and music, but until then, take care of yourselves and each other, and we'll see you soon. And for those of you returning to classes this week, happy back to school. This podcast is brought to you by the Living Presence Ministry, a community ministry of the United Church of Canada. You can find us online at www.livingpresenceministry.org.